And now, with sound investing, here's Paul Merriman. So I produced a podcast that uh, looked at the S&P 500 and uh, treasury notes in a number of different combinations from 0% equities to 10% equities and 90% bonds all the way up to 100% equities and no bonds. I hope you heard that podcast, uh, and uh, if you didn't, uh, I would encourage you to uh, listen to that before uh, digging into this podcast, because uh, I went into great detail as to all the different ways we might look at risk and return uh, on the S&P 500, and the reason I wanted to be very clear about the S&P 500 is that it's the benchmark. It's the market that that we we all, almost all of us in the industry, see as the 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 basic building block uh, for people to to invest for the long term, because those five hundred companies represent a uh, about eighty five percent or so of all of the value of public corporations. Uh, in America, in the U.S. So that was supposed to set the stage for a deeper dive then into the same view, looking at combining all fixed income or portions of fixed income with portions of equity, but not with the S&P 500, but portfolios, in fact, many of them, comprised of different combinations of U.S. and international, different combinations of uh, value, both U.S. and international. In other words, uh, an all-value portfolio that is 50% U.S., 50% international. Another one is 70% U.S., 70% international. I've, I've got a whole range now of portfolios that I want to look at in the same way. How do they look one year at a time from 1970? What were the, what did the good times look like? What did the bad times look like? What were the worst periods? What, not just the worst year. What about the worst 60 months? Uh, what would test your limit of... Uh, of commitment. Uh, at some point, would you say I've had enough and head for the sidelines or head for something else that shows better promise? I think that if we're going to have a sense of commitment and, and confidence in our portfolios, however we build them, I think we need to know all this stuff because this is likely what we're walking into for the rest of our life. Now, in my case, I don't have a lot of years to go, so, so it's, it's, it, it may be I'll never see a big bear market, and it may be I'll never see another big bull market. And when the bear bites and the, and the bull roars, I, I don't know what they're going to be like. I can only know that uh, over 100 years, the average bear market Remember, to get a bear market, you got to lose about 20%. 
But and the average bear market's been close to 35%. But I also know that since 1970, covered in these tables that we have here, uh, that we have had three losses of over 50%. And, um, uh, and so I, I may never experience that, but I talk to a lot of young kids, and I know they're, well, I can't guarantee it, of course, but I expect they better be ready for those down and dirty times. Now, along with this particular podcast, I, I also hope uh, that you will take the time to read uh, a recent article, Allocate Your Retirement Portfolio in Three Easy Steps. I think Rich Buck did a, a great job of telling the story that I, that I wanted to tell to you to to try to get you to kind of understand how you put all this information to work. Now, I, I know I could make this a very long podcast. And I'm, and I'm uh, certainly because I like making long podcasts, I'm tempted to do that. But in this case, so much of the work that needs to be done is really between you and these pieces of paper that I have produced with the, with the help of Daryl Balls and the database from Dimensional Funds. Uh, because what we're looking for here is one column on all these pages. I'm looking for one column that represents a combination of what assets you trust and in terms of U.S. and international. And by the way, also, if you include the S&P 500 page fine-tuning table that I presented several weeks ago, when you look at that, that basically is what a total market index would look like in the U.S. And so many of you, in fact, I'm surprised how many of you say, I don't want any internationals in my portfolio. If I own Microsoft, if I own many Facebook, if I own most of these large companies that are the, the top of the heap in the U.S. economy, I'm going to get a position in international securities through those companies that I don't need anymore. Now, I'll tell you, if for those people, that table that I produced could be the table that you need to look at. Because you're, what you're depending on, whether it's the S&P 500 or the total market U.S. index, you're talking about the, S&P, the, 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 the backbone of our economy, the S&P 500. But for many people that I speak to, I encourage them to go beyond the S&P 500 and include large cap value as a separate asset class. Include small cap blend, means growth and value. Include small cap value. Include REITs in, in uh, tax deferred accounts. Include the international large cap blend and large cap value and small cap blend and small cap value and include emerging markets. That's 
a portfolio that from everything that I've seen about the past has a very similar, very similar return, I'm sorry, risk as the S&P 500, but a substantially better return. So you need to find the asset classes you trust. You then, I think, you need to determine how much you want in stocks and how much you want in bonds. And that should be driven, for most people, between the choice of trying to get the highest return you can within your risk tolerance. In other words, if if you're willing to lose 20% uh, a year, in a year, then that if you could if you could do that because there does seem to be some sort of relationship between risk and return then what would be the portfolio that would expose you to a 20% one year loss and if you as i mentioned a few minutes ago are willing to lose half of your money then it looks to me from everything i've seen that you probably in a diversified portfolio not one company at a time, in a diversified portfolio, you could be all stocks because I think there's a really good chance that it will give you a super return for the long term and that you will lose half of your money. So you've got to decide... How much in U.S., how much in international, how much in stocks, how much in bonds, and whether you want to use a whole bunch of different asset classes or whether you basically want to be large cap U.S. blend. Now I know somebody out there right now is saying, Merriman, what don't you understand about the total market index? It does have small cap. It does have, in fact, it has small cap value. Yes, it has probably, you know, I don't know, something like, uh, let's say, 3% in small cap value. Well, that's not enough to impact your portfolio. The large companies absolutely overshadow the impact of what might happen with that teeny tiny 3% position. So... You need to figure, oh, by the way, another one, if you haven't not, if you didn't ever look at the ultimate buy and hold strategy, that's an article where I talk about the, what would happen if you just took a little bit of large cap blend and large cap value and small cap blend and small cap value. I mean, you just, you just probably 10 to 15,000 different companies spread with little pieces of no more than 10% in any one of them. But it exposes you to the world, not only in terms of U.S. versus international, but the world of large and small and value and growth and in more or less equal proportions. And that, of course, is as legitimate as the S&P 500 as an investment strategy. But it sounds so much more risky. And these tables I'm asking you to print out and look at, and most of the time of looking is going to be after you're done listening to me. 
because I want you to see the implications of 70% U.S. versus 30 uh, versus 50. I want you to see the implications of all value versus a combination of growth and value. And, um, and I'd like you to see certainly many, many different combinations of fixed income and equity. And all of this work is meant to do one thing. And that is for you to figure out how to put together a portfolio that is likely to meet your long-term needs and maybe even surpass it within a portfolio that's no more risky than probably being in the S&P 500. And in the article that Rich wrote, just to talk a little bit about some of these differences that I think are, are to me, very interesting, uh, and looking only at the uh, 50-50 now. I'm not going to worry about the 70-30. Well, I'm going to talk to you about the 70-30 briefly because it, it simplifies the rest of my presentation in terms of, of, uh, of covering everything that I want to cover with you. The 50-50 U.S. International has almost the same return and the same risk as 70-30 U.S. International. They're virtually the same, whether you're looking at the worldwide or you're looking at the all-value. So uh, I don't think I'm going to waste a lot of time on that here, but I, what I would suggest that you do after you decide whether you should be in 50-50 stocks and bonds or 60-40 or 40-60 or 80-20, whatever it might be, after you find out where you think your risk tolerance is, because the risk is so similar between these different portfolios, then it's a matter, I think, of, of focusing in on what you find comfort with in terms of all value, all worldwide, all S&P 500. Let me just focus on three portfolios. The S&P, the worldwide balance, that's the one that's got big, small value growth, U.S. international REITs and emerging markets, a little bit of everything, but now we're talking 50-50, U.S. and international. So, what do we know? Uh, and by the way, we're going to do the same thing with value. We're going to look at value in the same way. 50-50 U.S. international. Well, it turns out the compound rate of return, and this is in the article, for the S&P 500 was 10.5 from 1970 through 2017. It was 12.7 for the worldwide and it was the all value was 13.4. Now, I know which one I like in terms of, of return. But how do I feel about having a portfolio that is, uh, is going to have about half the number of stocks that you would have in the, in the worldwide or, or, well, many more stocks than you would have in the S&P 500, but certainly not as many as you'd have in a 
portfolio of U.S. international and all those different asset classes in both growth and value. So maybe you're not comfortable doing that. But what you could look at are some statistics that would give you a sense that uh, what you're likely to live with is going to be acceptable or not. So we look at standard deviation as one. And the S&P 500 has a standard deviation of 15.1, worldwide 14.6, the all value 14.9. And even if you don't understand all of the uh, what standard deviation represents, what I can tell you is those numbers for all practical purposes are the same. In fact, I don't think an average person, not even a above average person, would be able to tell the any difference in volatility between these three strategies. They're virtually the same. But we could look at the worst 12 months because there's something that we'd understand because we may not understand how standard deviation is computed and what it means. But what I do know is the worst 12 months from 1970 through 2017 for the S&P 500 was a minus 43.3 for the worldwide uh, strategy all equity 50.6 loss and for the all value 52.2. Now, that happened one time. And would you be willing to, uh, interested, let's say, in that additional almost 3% between the S&P 500 and the all value if the worst 12 months was a loss of 52.2 instead of 43.3? Well, let's look at it another way. There's nothing magic about 12 months, and there's nothing magic about 60 months or five years. And if you look at every 60-month period, the worst S&P 500 return for 60 months in a row was a compound rate of return, annual return, of a minus 6.6. I can tell you, if somebody just retired and for the first five years of their investing, they are down 6.6% a year, and they're taking out money every year, let's say 5% for the sake of discussion, or make it 4%. That means that during that that five years, you you lost between the 6.6 and taken out 4%, you're you're probably down about 50% or more if you were trying to take out more each year accounting for inflation. Now, worldwide was a negative 4.2 per year, about a third less than than the S&P 500. And the all-value was a negative 4.7. Again, less risky in terms of actual losses that would have been sustained over the worst five-year period. And there's a reason that these more broadly diversified portfolios are likely over longer periods of time to do better, and that's because that from from time to time there will be an asset class that will be just the worst of the worst. 
And from 2000 through 2009, the S&P 500 actually lost money, including the reinvestment of dividends of about 0.9% a year over a 10-year period, while a diversified portfolio made about 7-8% a year. Made instead of lost. Why? Because they didn't all go bad at one time. But even after you choose either the S&P 500 or the worldwide portfolio or the all-value portfolio, and you have chosen 70-30 or 50-50 in terms of how much in U.S. and how much in international, you still have one huge decision to make. And that is how much I'm going to have in equity and how much in fixed income. And, um, and when I look back at that 1970 through, through 2017, and I look, let's just take one of these uh, strategies, the worldwide 50-50. That's 50% U.S., 50% international. And remember, I said, whether you take 50-50 or 70-30, the results are almost the same. Now, what do I know about what happens when you mix uh, the worldwide 50-50 strategy with fixed income? Well, I just want you to get a sense of why it's important. Important, I think, for you to look at this table at length to get a sense of what you're going to go through. But in the article, again, you've got it here. Uh, these are just, a, it's one very specific couple of examples here. But, but in this particular one, what happens in terms of return and risk if you only put 20% in equities? And what it turned out happened was the compound rate of return was 8.3%. By the way, you might be flabbergasted that that could be possible to have 80% of your money in fixed income and 20% of your money in equities and get over 8%. How could that be true? Well, the reason being is that uh, the strategy of just an all fixed income portfolio made a little over 7% during that period of time. Which means by adding 20% equity to the portfolio, you ended up with uh, an 8.3 instead of, I think, 7.1% compound rate of return. And the standard deviation of the 20% in equities was 4.5%. By the way, the standard deviation for the all equity was 14.6. So, you know, over three times the volatility, the worst 12 months, the worst 12 months for the 20% in equity was a loss of 10.7. Compared with 100% in equity, a loss of 50.6. And by the way, if you went out the worst 60 months, the worst 60 months 
for the 20% in equities was a gain of 2.9% a year. Not a home run. But the difference between making 2.9 and, let's look at the 100% worldwide, it was a loss over that 60, 60 months, a compound rate of return of a negative 4.2% a year. So there's about a 7% spread between, in fact, more than that, between the 20% in equities and the 100% in equities during the worst of times. But let's face it, we don't invest in the stock market for the worst of times. All I want you to know is what the worst of times looked like and then kind of decide where you fit on this, this risk versus return spectrum. Now, my wife and I, um, we're 50-50. And uh, the standard deviation is about a third less than the all equity. The return is less. It's it's 12.7 for the all equity and 10.1 uh, for the 50-50. I'd, I'd be... I'd be thrilled for 7 or 8% in a portfolio of 50-50. That 1970 through, through 2017 included some terrible, terrible bear markets, but also some really great bull markets, and fixed income paid more than we would expect them to pay. And I do know the 50-50 strategy, worst 60 months was a gain of uh, 0.5% a year. So somehow I would like you to be motivated to spend time with these strategies, remembering that every additional half percent that, uh, that we can make in a portfolio can literally be worth millions to investors. Now, obviously, they're likely to have bigger bigger impact on people who are very young, but even people in retirement. If you look at the tables, and I'll be talking in a couple of weeks about distributions, and it could actually be about a month, be talking about distributions, and you can see what the impact of an extra half a percent can be. It's meaningful. But let's say instead of worrying about the whole table, let's say that you were interested in the worldwide strategy um, and you were also interested in the value strategy. And uh, and by the way, you might be interested in that value strategy for, for a part of your portfolio rather than all of your portfolio. It's a possibility for a I think a lot of investors. I would like to think there will be some investors, young investors, who will start and finish their life with an all-value portfolio. I think Warren Buffett is happy that he basically did that himself. So here's what I'd like you to do. I would really like you, if you want to dig into this and make a better decision, to decide, first of all, 
whether you want to be all S&P 500, uh, you might even decide that you want to have a portfolio that's half S&P 500, and so you should be focusing on the the S&P 500 table, and maybe you want half in value. So you'd be focusing on the value table, but you also know, you also know that that maybe the you belong somewhere in the 40 to 60% equity. And 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 that you don't have to look at the whole page. You only have to look at the S&P 500 and the value page and then you would look at the the 40% equity, the 50% and the 60% and look at the exposure to risk for those three and the return. And let me just let me just for a second um, talk about the the all value as, as an example. If we look at the uh, fine-tuning table for the all value 50/50, uh, th- then we will notice that uh, there is a uh, for the 40% equity that you would have had a 9.8% return. For the 50-50, you would have had a 10.5, and for the 60-40, 11.1. And that the standard deviation is about 50% higher for the 60% equity than the 40% equity. But probably where you're going to go look at this point is the losses. And you will notice on the table, we have shown you the worst three months, the worst six months, the worst 12 months, the worst 36 months, the worst six months, and then the worst drawdown. A drawdown is the biggest loss from a peak until the bottom is hit and it and it recovers back to that original peak so that the market might, let's just for the sake of discussion, be at 100, go down to 60, and that was the low point before it went back to 100, and that loss from 100 down to 60 would be called the drawdown. Now, what do we know about the drawdown for the 40 percent, 50 percent, and 60 percent equity positions. The 40 percent, the drawdown was 24.8. For 50 percent, it was 31.8. And for 60 percent, it's 38.3. Now, let's say that that all just sounds scary as can be. And what you then want to figure out is, okay, uh, let's forget about these, uh, the drawdown and the worst 12 months in a row. Let me just go back and look at all the calendar years and get a sense of where, what the bad times looked like. And if I looked at the first 10 years of the all-value 50-50 portfolio, I'm talking about 50% in stocks and 50% in bonds. There was one year that lost money, and it was 8.5%. 
And then for the next 10 years, there was not a losing year. And then for the next 10 years, there was not a losing years. And then in the period from 2000 through 2009, you had to go all the way to 2009 to experience a 19.9% loss. And then in the final, since 2010 through 2017, two losing years, one of 2% and another one of 2%. But buried in there are some very difficult times. There is a one-year loss of 28.9 for the 50-50 all-value investment strategy portfolio. But there weren't very many losses, period, when you look at the calendar year. And each one of us has to figure out what is it, what piece of information are we going to hold as the most important piece. When I'm talking to a young person, oh my God, I, I, I want them to look at a 40-year table. I don't want them to look at anything less than 40 years because that's what it's all about. But it does get different when we're talking about uh, people who are coming up to retirement and they're deciding what balance of equity and fixed income that's going to produce their annual or their monthly or their quarterly income, well, that's a whole different view than the 21-year-old. So I don't know what it will take to motivate you to spend time with these tables, and the links are right there in the, uh, uh, in, uh, with, along with the information about the podcast, as well as the link to the the, the fine-tuning piece I did on the S&P 500. I would like to think that uh, some part of your portfolio, maybe not all of your portfolio, as I mentioned before, you could do a, a uh, worldwide, uh, I'm sorry, S&P 500, um, and, and have that be 50-50 stocks and bonds, and you could do an all-value and have it be 50-50 stocks and bonds. You can mix and match these different tables in a thousand different ways because there are so many different combinations of stocks and bonds, different combinations of large and small, U.S. and international. And uh, I'm hoping that as you look through these, you'll generate some questions and send them to me. In fact, I'd like to do a special follow-up on this particular podcast. And uh, do me a favor and send, send the questions about this particular podcast directly to me, paul at paulmerriman.com. And let me, let me kind of see if I can't find some things that will be of interest to many of you rather than just one or two and uh, help you dig a little deeper into this table. And a special presentation, I think it's special, for young people who are talking about investing over a period of 30, 40, 50, 60 years, potentially. Uh, I'll be doing a, uh, a podcast about the, the, the process of accumulating money, not taking money out, 
but accumulating money. What what does it look like when you put a thousand dollars a year from 1970 through 2017 and increase each year the investment by three percent, just a thousand dollars, and we look at every one of these columns. We look at the ultimate buy and hold all value strategy, 70-30, 50-50. We look at the worldwide strategy, 50-50, 70-30. And we look at the S&P 500. And in every case, we show the implications over this 1970 through 2017 period on the impact of just putting away $1,000. Maybe you've got the ability to put away $5,000 a year. That's okay. You could multiply the numbers times five. But I think for young investors, those starting to accumulate, uh, it is probably one of the best studies that uh, I've been involved with. And I hope you'll join me in a couple of weeks and we'll introduce that all to you. Thank you, as always, for listening. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.